Hi, you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review, where we're just a bunch of blind men trying to figure out that elephant. And I am Lou Rosenfeld, your host. And I'm joined today by Brin- Vincent Brathway. I almost called you Brinson Vathway. <laughs> that ever happened before? It has not. This is a first. So we can chalk that one up as a first for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm on some mailing list as Clovis Hosenfled. Um, I, I, it's oh, a big no. honor. Uh, Vincent is a design leader, speaker, and educator who will be one of our opening speakers uh, on one of the three days at the Design Ops Summit, which takes place October 21st through 23rd. I can't believe we're already up to our fourth. And um, this one is fully virtual, designed from the ground up virtually. Uh, We're doing a lot of really fun things uh, at this particular instance of design ops. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited about um, is the idea of attending in a cohort, a small group of people with a facilitator. And you get to know them, they get to know you, and attending together, we think, uh, means learning together. And I hope you will consider joining us at the Design Ops Summit and maybe even participating in one of the attendee cohorts. But more important than the cohorts is the content. And Vincent, I'm glad you're part of the program. My understanding is um, you're working on your talk. Uh, I know the conference is, uh, you know, a few weeks out. You got some time, but that most of what you're going to be covering has to deal with the future of design teams and how to make them more inclusive. So you're, you have a, an interesting project in that space right now. I wondered if you could start off by telling us a little bit about it. Yes. So thank you again for having me. Uh, it is an honor and a pleasure to be speaking at this year's uh, full virtual conference. Uh, the work that I am doing and will be speaking on is uh, around the concept of design leadership and race in the future of our teams. Um, and how can we uh, create a sustainable future with our design organization and our teams that uh, reflects the individuals uh, that are that surround us in our day-to-day lives, right? Which is very diverse um, set of individuals. And so how can we uh, foster language um, and also generate a protocol that allows for us to have uh, an engaging and progressive um, a conversation that allows for us to not uh, be so reactive when um, events like those that have happened in this year uh, causes us to kind of stop and, and re-look at uh, how we can um, do work. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're talking about language. I, mean, I, I will admit personally that for me, when I'm talking about the uh, issues of diversity and, and equity and inclusion, I, I get tripped up on using the right terminology. So, you know, I, I don't know how representative I am, but um, you know, BIPOC is a new term for me, and I've been using that, and I think that's probably a, a, a good term. It may not be a year from now, uh, and that's not a knock on the term, but our understanding is constantly changing. Um, I, I, you know, it's not just the language that's changing, it's what the language represents, right? The ideas of, of categories and so forth. So um, I remember, uh, you know, talking with my now 17-year-old daughter uh, who is very interested in issues of gender and, and sexuality. And, you know, she she lists so many different categories. And I think, you know, I read a an academic piece um, that said there's something like 27 
classifications of, of gender and sexuality. And you know, I grew up with two. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, uh, I'm not sure how to talk about, you know, is there, is a, is disabled a good framing? It, it would be better to say differently abled is, you know, are terms like underrepresented uh, good I ideas to use. And so I think, you know, like as a white guy, I certainly get tripped up by that. Um, yeah. Imagine at least some of the listeners are struggling with that too. So I'm, I'm again, I'm really happy you're talking about language and I'm wondering like, what, what do you see helping people kind of get to a place where they have a common language so that they can actually have a decent conversation? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind is the openness and the willingness to want to have the conversation, right? Because uh, myself as a, a Black man in, uh, of Caribbean descent, right, I don't have all of the language and all of the terminologies used to, uh, to speak to or to engage with uh, different people who don't come to, from the same background or have the same experience that I have. However, I am open. Right. I think one of the things that we have to do as design leaders is to be open to uh, having those types of conversations and being wrong and and those who are listening to be OK with uh, correcting someone if they use a term that that is um, out of place um, or one that they don't resonate or identify with. Right. I think setting the stage and saying and creating a protocol where, hey, I may not know or I may not have all of the terms um, that is necessary or that may um, speak directly to you, but I'm open to, uh, to correcting myself or to using the right ones, et cetera, right? So I think really it boils down to just the, the, willingness, the willingness and the openness to want to exchange with another human being to learn about how things are occurring for them Right. Just like how you spoke about your daughter and how she, you know, shared with you, you know, her experience um, as it relates to gender and sexuality and how that prompted you to do some research, to learn some more. And I think the same thing has to happen where we can, you know, get uh, inspired to want to go and do our own research if we so choose to want to learn more about, you know, a specific a particular experience, a particular culture or race, et cetera. But we first have to be open to have the conversation. So there's, there's being open, which is really hard. I mean, it, yes. that's an excuse, but it's hard for people to be open. Uh, we're just as, we, we tend just as easily to get defensive. And so I guess that's my question is, what, what is the protocol um, for assuming openness? Uh, yeah. You just have to kind of, go first and, and show you're open uh, before you expect somebody else to show that they're open. I mean, and, and by protocol, I mean like, you know, when, when strangers meet, uh, like when we met, we, we've never talked to each other before this call, yeah. we introduced ourselves and, you know, we made some small talk and there's a protocol there. We can both assume certain things about the other person, but um, I wonder if there's a similar protocol that, um, we can do a better job of establishing when getting into issues of, of race and gender, ethnicity, et cetera. Yes. I think one is to be the first one, take that first step in sharing where you are, what, what your limitations are in terms of what you know to be true mm -hmm. um, about 
you know, a set of individuals or a culture or an experience or whatever the case may be. Um, I think you as the individual saying, here's where I stand. Here's what I know and here's what I don't know, right? Um, so that the person is, is, is aware of where you are so that if you do say something, they at least have that introduction that says to them, okay, if you say something that it was out of place, I know that you did, didn't do it with an intention to hurt me. I know that you did um, out of a space of just ignorance. And so I can now, um, instead of being defensive, I can just share or say, hey, you know, Lou, that the, what you said, you probably don't want to use that term because this is a, a better term for someone like me, et cetera. And then you now can receive that and say, oh, okay, cool. I can, you know, correct and I now know for the next time or I'll go and do some more research, et cetera. So yes, it's on the ownership of the individual who, you know, is initiating the conversation potentially. Um, or if you're in a leadership position, say, this is where, this is where I stand. And, and I, and I want to let you know that, um, you know, whatever I say or however I show up, this is where it's coming from. It's not coming from a place of intent, but I am, I am open to, to being, uh, corrected. Yeah. And, um, so I imagine, you know, for you as a black man, um, do you like, how do you see that protocol? Like, do you find yourself, I imagine um, when you meet someone new or you've had, you, you, you have a conversation like this with someone you haven't had it with before um, and you don't really know where they're coming from, do you feel like you're looking for certain signs in them that, that show that they are open to being corrected or that they are whatever, I mean, open is, the, I guess, the best word, open hearts, open minds. But what's the, you know, what's, what are you looking for in that protocol? So for me, I, I'm looking for uh, their wall to sort of be let down, so to speak, you know, uh, figuratively. So what does that mean exactly? So that means by how I show up and when I introduce myself, right, I'm going to introduce myself in using my personality in, in however that shows up, right? Um, and when someone responds, if they respond in a way that demonstrates that they feel comfortable, um, then that to me says that they are open to receiving and for an exchange and a dialogue to take place where I can you know, say, hey, actually, you know, what you said could be considered offensive um, or you know, me being receiving what they might say. But the first thing that I look for is, is their comfortability when speaking with me, because it's very easy for you to, and there, there are clues in which you can, you can tell if someone is feeling a little uh, closed off or they're feeling sort of apprehensive about wanting to engage. And for me, I look for, you know, the shoulders to drop. I look for sort of arresting. Um, I look for the stance of leaning in and wanting to have a conversation. Of course, if this is in person, right? But, you know, virtually um, listening to the tone and of their voice and how they are engaging with me, um, if they are showing an interest, that to me says that this person is comfortable with speaking with me and I can, you know, share more and I am open to listening to more of what they have to say. So I'm hearing a few things. I'm hearing 
openness, um, hearing letting down, really the same thing, letting down the wall, uh, um, you know, body language in many cases helps uh, belie the degree or, or lack thereof of defensiveness. Yes. Um, and, you know, obviously language, you know, I yes. mean, you know, I just had this really weird interaction recently with someone in the field who kept calling me sir. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, I don't, I mean, it just created all this like baggage in the conversation suddenly that I didn't even know was there. And yeah, you know, well, I guess this is, it, it's just so interesting how difficult it is to have a conversation when you really think about it. Like when you start to tease it apart, there's so many pieces of it. Uh, you know, this is, I, I guess the people who are doing work in our field in conversation design are, are absolute heroes because, uh, you know, not yeah. to, in terms of helping uh, software and humans uh, have better conversations, but I think it's going to spill over into humans and humans. Uh, before we continue this conversation, we're going to take it a, a quick break and we'll be right back. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities. Again, it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions and so forth, we'll give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com slash communities. You're going to find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. Hi, it's Lou Rosenfeld, and I'm talking with Vincent Brathwaite, uh, who will be speaking with us uh, at this year's Design Ops Summit in October. Uh, we were having this really, really uh, meta conversation about conversation and how difficult it is and what we take for granted, how we take for granted that we have enough of a shared vocabulary that we can talk about deep things and that we have a protocol for establishing trust and uh, uh, shared goals in our conversations. And, um, you know, I, you can get to a point, I think, of, of, having a difficult conversation uh, and um, working your way through issues, but there's no cookie cutter approach to get to that point. So I'm, I'm guessing that 
you know, our listeners aren't going to necessarily walk away from this discussion with a, a plan or a whole bunch of answers, but I imagine there's some really good questions that you think people should be considering as they, they work their way through conversations like this. Yeah, absolutely. There's two big questions that everyone could start asking themselves. And the first question is, what are you missing in terms of um, knowledge and understanding uh, uh, that will allow for you to be able to engage with other people um, of diverse backgrounds uh, within your teams, within your organization, right? So where's that knowledge gap? And then the big question, which is a really tough one, um, and that is, why are you uncomfortable having those kinds of conversations? Because it's when you get to that answer for that question, uh, that's going to present to you the opportunity to explore that area, right? Because whatever's holding you up from being feeling comfortable to have that kind of conversation or to engage with individuals in that way will perhaps give you insight to some things that you may need to sit with, right? And explore on your own, right? Some other research you need to do or looking at some previous experiences. So that one is a really big one, but one that is really powerful because once you lean into that area of discomfort, um, you'll be surprised on what you're able to learn about yourself in future conversations that you'll have uh, as you continue to work with diverse group of people. You know, it's interesting because in design in general, I like to think we may be more comfortable with our ignorance and are lacking in certain areas related to our work than maybe other fields. Now, that's totally totally a supposition. I mean, you know, it could very well be I'm full of crap here. But I'm wondering <laughs> if, if you feel that to be the case or are or, or, or people in design no better or worse at leaning into their uncertainty and ignorance than, than other folks? That's, oh man, it, you see, with design in general, that's hard because there are areas and pockets within our field where I would say yes. And then there are other areas where I would lead towards the other end where people are a little bit more curious um, in wanting to explore and get more information. Um, I think the fact that we're even having this conversation now at large, not just you and I, um, is because unfortunately, I believe that uh, a majority of us as leaders are not trying to have those types of dialogues or engaging in that way. So I would, I would probably lean towards uh, more towards the the fact that we're sort of okay with where things are. Um, but um, but my my hope is that you know us as designers and design leaders can become more curious about the way that our organization and our industry is set up as it relates to the individuals that are playing a role in it. Um, because that's, that's something that we have to do when we're designing things for people, right? If, if we're trying to solve problems for people through um, an application, through a website, through uh, a product, that we have to get some understanding of who these end users are, right? And I think the same has to be applied to the way in which we engage with people in the world. And so 
there has to still exist a level of curiosity about individuals who we don't know much about um, and, and less about and less fear of the unknown, right? Um, you know, that should cross over. We can't sort of like turn off the switch and be curious, curious in our roles and our the work that we do and then fearful in our day-to-day life, right? The curiosity should exist in both. So, so here's a, a dumb theory I just came up with and tell me what you think. Um, so as a co- collectively, like I think you're saying, we are, we have to be curious about the unknown and, and empathetic with people we don't know, the customer, the user and, and their context, um, and maybe more so than in other fields. Um, yeah. And yet, you know, I don't know that we've done such a good job with, diversity and equity and inclusion as a field so here's my theory is that while you know like you would think we would be doing a better job collectively on the other hand we've been like we've been in this defensive mode as we've become accepted in certainly the corporate environment so we we collectively feel like the little guy who has to puff his chest up a bit and, and prove that he's got a, a, a seat at the table. Yeah. So while we've been fighting for that seat, we've managed to lose sight of some other really important issues like this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I, I honestly would agree. I think that being a minority in the business world, um, you know, as designers, um, there's, there's already that struggle. And I think that because we, we have made so much progress, as you said, to get a seat at the table and um, helping to influence business decisions um, as designers because of the way in which we think and how we do work, um, that unfortunately, um, you know, that fight still, it, it, it prohibits us from, from, from engaging and working through a resolve within our own sort of small sort of you know, group, <laughs> if you will, right? I, I'm yeah. always, I always laugh because uh, as many designers as I've heard complain about being overwhelmed in, in organizations that are either marketing or engineering driven and how they feel insignificant, I then see designers make other people feel insignificant, like let's say <clears throat> uh, UX writers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to be married to one, don't tell anybody. Um, so, um, yeah, Vincent, this is like, this has just been a great conversation and, and, uh, you know, thank you for, for participating in it. The, you know, I, I feel like already I have a better grasp on things like protocol and language, and it's just a joy to talk with you before we wrap up. Uh, I always like to ask if, uh, there's a little gift you can give to our listeners, uh, someone or something that they may not know about, but should anything come to mind? Yes. Something comes to mind. And speaking of this sort of getting access to information that you may be missing, uh, there's this book that I highly recommend that I have read and I'm going through it again. And it's called cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Um, and it talks about the caste system as it relates to the U S in comparison to India and also um, in Germany, so uh, during the Nazi regime, so I would highly recommend that you read it. Uh, it was an eye opener 
uh, for me in some ways and uh, triggering in others. But ultimately, it provided a really great context in which to explore and to potentially get some more information to, to address this issue of race within our organizations and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Vincent, thanks so much. Uh, on my reading list, and uh, again, the book is Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. And uh, we've been talking with Vincent Brathwaite, who will be speaking at the Design Up Summit October 21st through 23rd. It's a virtual conference. It's going to be an amazing virtual conference. We have come up with all kinds of ways to com combat Zoom fatigue, including having great people with great subjects like Vincent's. Uh, Vincent's a design leader, speaker, and educator. You can learn more about him at Vincent J. Brathwaite, B-R-A-T-H-W-A-I-T-E dot com. Vincent, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen. And please check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.